0: Grace and peace be with you from the Lord Jesus Christ. As you know, today is Palm Sunday. We began our service with the children coming out to lead us in a stanza from Psalm 118. We were able to join them in singing from Psalm 118. And like many Christians before us and many of our forefathers in the faith, we are entering into Holy Week Using Psalm 118 as the base to help us think more clearly and more faithfully about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Our sermon text for this evening comes from Psalm 118, and I've selected a few verses from the Psalm to center our attention on who the Lord is. And so if you just follow along in the worship order, you will see the selected texts that I would like for us to use as the base for the sermon this evening. If you are willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Holy Word. The Word of God reads, The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The Lord is my God, and He has made His light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. And that is the word of the Lord May God add His blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of His Word. Well, Today I would like for us to take a look at Psalm 118. I don't want us to look at the psalm from our perspective and consider the psalm from our point of view and how the psalm might be useful to us. Rather, I want us to look at the psalm from the point of view of Jesus Christ And try to hear and see how Jesus would have thought about this psalm and prayed this psalm and sang this psalm as the Christ, the Son of God. I serve on the Theological Examination Committee for our presbytery. And one of the questions we ask men who come before us for examination is to list a few of the messianic psalms. These are psalms that predicted and prophesied the coming of Jesus Christ or they say something specific about the person and work of Christ. So usually after a man lists psalms 2, 16, 24, 40, 110, somewhere in there I like to ask him if in fact all of the psalms might be considered messianic psalms. And the reason we ask the question is because Jesus makes it clear that all the scriptures, including the Psalms, are ultimately about Him. Whether you're talking about the Law, the Prophets, or the Psalms, they are all ultimately about Jesus. And Psalm 118 is no exception. Psalm 118 is one of the more important Psalms, one of the more significant Psalms, if we can say it that way. Psalm 118 is cited by all four of the gospel writers in the New Testament. Peter cites Psalm 118 in his preaching in Acts chapter 4. And he cites Psalm 118 in his first epistle. Paul and other writers allude to Psalm 118 in their writings. Psalm 118 was Martin Luther's favorite psalm. He said, this is my psalm, my chosen psalm. I love them all, I love all Holy Scripture, which is my consolation and my life, but this psalm is nearest my heart, and I have a peculiar right to call it mine. It has saved me from many oppressing danger, from which nor emperor, nor kings, nor sages, nor saints could have saved me. It is my friend, dearer to me than all the honors and powers of the earth." The late James Montgomery Boyce tells of how three Protestant pastors in France relied on Psalm 118 as they faced execution in the mid-1700s. These pastors were part of a community known as the Huguenots. They were French Protestant Christians who had been deeply influenced by John Calvin and other reformers. Each one was offered life if only he would renounce his reformed faith and return to the mother church. But all three rejected the offer. And as they were led to the scaffold at different times and in different places, each one sang a French version of Psalm 118.24, which is translated like this. Here now is the happy day for which we have been waiting, Sing praise to God who gives us joy and pleasures unabating. They were not executed together at the same time, but they were executed weeks and years apart. And yet Psalm 118 was at the center of their thought and prayer as they went up to their death. In recent Christian history, Psalm 118 has been featured in the lectionary readings for Palm Sunday, Holy Week, Easter Sunday and the week after Easter Sunday. We recited one Psalm 118 in our call to worship today, and we will do so again next week. And last but not least, I remind you that we heard our children singing a verse from Psalm 118, and we joined in that song with them. Now all of this is to say that while all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, for life, for doctrine, Psalm 118 ranks among the more significant psalms in Scripture and in Christian tradition. Our children saying the same part of the psalm that the crowds were singing when Jesus rode the donkey colt up into Jerusalem. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what we want to do is pause for a moment and ask the question, who is he who comes in the name of the Lord? From the point of view of the psalmist and the original hearers of the psalm, perhaps he who comes in the name of the Lord was David or some other hero like David. From the point of view of the crowds watching Jesus go up into Jerusalem, it was Jesus, a new king like David, who was coming in the revolutionary spirit of David to get rid of the Romans, to make Judah great again, to bring a new kind of peace in heaven and on earth. And so for them, this psalm was politically charged. But from the point of view of the psalmist, the point of view of the spirit of Christ, the apostles of Jesus, he who comes in the name of the Lord is none other than Jesus, the stone the builders rejected, He is the one who came in the name of the Lord. So Psalm 118 was one of the many prayers in the heart and on the lips of Jesus as He entered Holy Week, the final week of His life before the crucifixion. This psalm undoubtedly reminded Him of several truths about the Lord God. These truths supported him, strengthened him, and sustained him in the midst of his struggles and sorrows. As Jesus prayed Psalm 118, he confessed at least three things. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my God. And so this psalm gave him the perspective and the power he needed to enter into the fray of Holy Week. Now, all of this raises the question, doesn't it? If Jesus is Lord and He's coming in the name of the Lord, we must be asking, who is the Lord of our Lord? And Jesus indicates to us that the Lord of our Lord is none other than God Himself. And we'll talk about this a bit more in just a moment. But let's look at Jesus' confession as he makes his way through Psalm 118. I'm putting Psalm 118 into the mouth of Jesus, into the heart of Jesus, so that we can understand what he was thinking and feeling and praying and singing that last week of his life. First thing, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. As Jesus entered Jerusalem, he knew the conflicts, the trials, and the struggles that awaited him. Enemies were waiting to catch him in his words or trap him in his deeds. He knew the religious leaders were setting a trap for him, setting him up for failure, trying to bring him down. He expected to be arrested and to suffer at the hands of wicked men. He knew he would be handed over to death by those who hated him without cause. But he also knew that his Father was on his side and that the Holy Spirit was in his heart as his helper. The Father and the Spirit helped him enter into the fray and endure the hardships of Holy Week. So although Jesus was delivered up unto death and defeated by his enemies, he knew that he would ultimately look in triumph on his enemies, not in the way anyone expected, but in a way no one expected at all. How in the world did Jesus triumph over his enemies and over those who hated him, if in fact they were able to get the upper hand and lead him to the cross and Crucify him unto death. Well, the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 2 that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. So Jesus looked in triumph on those who hated him from the cross. The place where they thought they had gained victory turned out to be the place of their defeat. And Jesus looked in triumph on those who hated Him from the empty tomb. Sin and death could not cling to Him and grip Him and hold Him down. He looked in triumph on the rulers of this age, the religious and the political leaders, the mobs who hated Him. He looked in triumph on The devil and sin and death as he rose from the dead. The point of this is that Jesus found in God the Father and God the Holy Spirit not only a helper but also a refuge. He took refuge, found sanctuary, a place of rest and peace and quiet in God alone, not in man at all. And He was gained victory through defeat and gained life through death. In this way, He triumphed over His enemies. Second, the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. We often imagine Jesus entering Holy Week entering the fray of his passion, his sufferings, and death, reluctantly and timidly, slow walking and dragging his feet. We imagine Jesus approaching it this way because that's the way we approach things that we don't want to do. That's the way we approach things that make us nervous and afraid. But Psalm 118, which is a prayer of Jesus paints a totally different image of Jesus entering Holy Week. The psalmist tells us that Jesus entered his Passion Week confidently and courageously. He entered confidently and courageously because he confessed, the Lord is my strength and my song. In other words, he's not looking around at the conditions of the world, the situation before him, the circumstances of his life. He's looking beyond those things to who God is and what God has promised to do for him. And he sees in God not only his helper, but also his strength and his song. According to Jewish tradition, Psalms 113 to 118 are the same Five psalms that are recited during the Passover meal. Undoubtedly, Jesus and the disciples sang these five psalms during the Passover at the Last Supper. In fact, Psalm 118 was likely the last hymn that they sang before they left the upper room and went out to the Mount of Olives. Both Matthew and Mark tell us in their Gospels that they sang the hymn before they went out to the mount of olives. And so the night before Jesus was betrayed, the night before Jesus was crucified, Psalm 118 was in his heart and in his mouth. Now again, Jesus is not overlooking or ignoring the powers of the world or the noise of the mob. He simply relativizes them in light of the Lord his God. He recognizes that relative to the world Relative to the Lord, the world is weak and wasted. Relative to God, relative to who God is, the world has nothing to offer, nothing to threaten. He saw that compared to the true, beautiful poetry of the divine song of salvation, all of these human songs and chants of condemnation and criticism were false, ugly, white noise. So in the face of suffering and death, Jesus sang glad songs of salvation in his heart and in his spirit. The gospel writers aren't painting that picture for us, but when we look at the psalm, we see that the Christ himself is declaring that glad songs of salvation are in his heart and in his spirit. They are in the tents of the righteous. God made flesh, God tabernacling Among us, God pitching his tent among his people, and there the songs of salvation are ringing forth. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is the one who gave Jesus the strength to enter into this passion, to go up to Jerusalem and into the temple complex where he turned over tables and he taught the crowds and tackled his temptations and faced his trials head on. Jesus enters his passion not in the strength of man, but in the power of God. He enters into the fray trusting that God will deliver him from the darkness and the death that await him. So Jesus has come not by might, not by power, But by God's Spirit, the Lord is His strength and His song. And thirdly, Jesus confesses through the psalmist, The Lord is my God. The Lord is my God. He has made His light shine upon me. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. As Jesus enters Holy Week, he acknowledges that the Lord is his God. Now this might seem strange to some folks. As I asked earlier, if Jesus is Lord, how can he come in the name of the Lord? If Jesus is God, how can the Lord be his God? This is all part of the mystery of the two natures of Jesus Christ. But to be clear... Jesus is not half God and half man, nor is he a swirled up mixture of human and divine natures. Jesus is fully God and fully man. As we confess with the historic Christian church in the Nicene Creed, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. The Nicene Creed helps us understand The two natures of Jesus, that he is very God of very God, but he is also very man of very man. He is fully God and fully man. So keep in mind that when Jesus says, the Lord is my God, he is uttering a prayer from the perspective of his human nature. As the God-man, Jesus rightly confesses, The Lord is my God, as all of God's people must do. To say the Lord is my God is to echo the Shema from the Old Testament Scriptures. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. When Jesus says the Lord is my God, He is testifying that He was no idol worshiper. He had no other gods before the Lord God or besides the Lord God. Jesus loved the Lord his God with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might. As a result, the priestly prayer of Aaron, which had been prayed over God's people from the time of the Exodus forward, is now answered and realized in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Notice how Jesus Or the psalmist says, He has made His light to shine upon us. This is the beginning of new creation, the birth of new life, not only for Jesus, but for Jesus and His people. And notice here that the psalmist doesn't simply say, He has made His light shine upon me, although that is true. The psalmist says, He has made His light shine upon us. In other words, according to the psalmist, Jesus, echoing the psalm, is saying that He identifies with His people. And His people identify with Him. By living the life He lived, and by dying the death He died, He accomplished the mission for which He was sent into the world. The mission to bring the deliverance of God to His people from darkness and death. God has made His light shine upon us. And all of us who are in union with Christ experience that light of God. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has made the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ shine in our hearts. Now, I've been saying repeatedly that this psalm is a prayer of Jesus. Jesus is praying and confessing His faith. He's praying and acknowledging who God is. He's praying and sharing His perspective on life. He gives us a window, a glimpse, into the heart and mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if, in fact, this is a prayer of Jesus Christ, we need to listen carefully to the very next prayer request he makes in this psalm. The very next line of his prayer, of his song, in Psalm 118 says, Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Jesus knew the purpose and the plan Of God, and he prayed that God would fulfill his purpose and plan. That's the point of that prayer request. But how does Jesus expect God to to fulfill his purpose and plan? He expects him to do it in this way by putting him forward as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, by delivering him up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. To be clear, Jesus is presenting Himself here as the festal sacrifice. He's asking God to bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. He's asking to be treated like a sacrificial lamb, handed over to the high priest, tied up to the altar, to be slaughtered, to have His blood shed and collected and then sprinkled and splattered. To be offered up to God on wood in fire, on wood in fire, to be consumed on the cross under the wrath of God. Jesus prays to be sacrificed by crucifixion for the sake of his people, for the glory of God and the good of the world. He did not hide or run from all his troubles, he tackles them head on. And he wrestles his trials to the ground. Jesus could do these things because he believed the Lord is his helper. The Lord is his strength and song. The Lord is his God. And if God is for him, who can be against him? If God is on his side as his helper, who can come against him and bring him down? If God is His refuge and strength, who can rob Him of His peace? If God is the song in His heart, who can ruin His mood or rob His joy? If God is His God, then what can man do to Him? So Jesus enters into the fray. He enters into the experience of Of Holy Week, of His Passion, not alone, not by Himself, not in His own power or wisdom, but He does it all in the wisdom and the power and the love of God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Now, what is our response to all of this? So often, When we read the Bible, we try to look for applications. We try to make the Bible speak to us. We think it's about us in some way, and that if we don't make it about us, then it wasn't a good message. But this sermon and this psalm are trying to convince us that it's all about Jesus. And we've been focusing on the person and work of Jesus as He enters into the Passion Week. And what's left for us to ask is, what is our response to all of these things? And our response is indicated for us in the psalm itself, where we are called to give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. We give thanks to the Lord For He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. And to give thanks to the Lord here means to give thanks to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. For God is good. And we see the goodness of God unveiled to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We see the goodness of God unveiled to us in the fact that the Father and the Spirit draw near and help Jesus That the Father and the Spirit draw near and give Him strength and song. That God is the God of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the goodness of God in the person and work of Christ as Jesus enters into the world to deliver us from sin and death. To lay down His life on behalf of His people. To die the death that we deserve so that we might live the life that He delighted in. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. In other words, gratitude is our response. Giving thanks and praise to God is our response in light of who Jesus is and what He has done. For His steadfast love endures forever. And steadfast love doesn't simply mean a love that's unshakable and a love that's stable, although it does mean that. But this carries the idea of a covenantal love, a love that is signed and sealed with promises and the power of God backing it up. It's a love that never fails because it's a love that endures the harshest of all hardships, His steadfast love endures forever. So when we think of Psalm 118 and what Jesus has accomplished for us and how He prayed and sang on our behalf, we give thanks to God because we see in all these things Jesus doing what we could not do for ourselves. And He does it willingly and gladly for God's glory and for our good. And this is what moves our hearts to gratitude for the person and work of Jesus Christ, for the grace and mercy of God our Savior. Let us pray. O God, open to us the gates of righteousness that we may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. Jesus Christ is the gate of the Lord. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The righteous shall enter through him. We thank you that you have answered us and have become our salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, make us prosper in the hands of Christ Our Lord and Savior, through whom we pray, Amen.